Good morning, everybody. What an awesome time of worship. Thank you so much, worship team. That was awesome. Amen. Good morning, saints, and welcome to our family room. You might be sitting here this morning and think, why does he always mention the family room aspect of being here on Sunday? It's kind of weird. Nobody else says it. You don't go to any other church and they talk about it being a family room. Sometimes it might not feel like a family room in here, but interestingly enough, that's true for our family rooms at home too. Sometimes they don't feel like family rooms. But I don't, and I'm not trying to speak for everyone, but for me, uh, remembering and emphasizing where we are helps me to remember this isn't a performance. I'm not here to entertain you. In fact, we're here to learn from each other, <clears throat> to grow together, to extend helping hands, and to study the Word of God, not to listen to an oration by a great speaker. There's a freedom in that, um, to bring the Word here, to know that it's not, I'm not trying to impress anyone, I'm not the most polished professional human on earth, but we are together as a family, and like it or not, if you're born again, we're going to be family for the rest of ever. So while you might not, once we get there, you might not have to listen to anybody like me speak once in a while, but uh, we're going to be family, so we might as well get used to it. It's good to see everybody today. I wanted to thank specifically everybody that is participating in greeting um, at the back door. If you've noticed the last while, there's been different folks standing there making sure you feel welcome, making connections with you. I just want to thank that group of people. It's not a so it's a can be a difficult job for depending on your personality type and whatnot. We got people that have stepped up for that. So thank you from on behalf of all of the leadership and all of the family here. Thank you very much. Amen. Let's clap for him. That was awesome. It was a good. It's a good thing to have. It makes you. It feels a little more like home. It's like when you go to somebody's house for family Christmas, and you you know sometimes you just kind of walk in and you wonder is anybody here? But then sometimes you go and there's people like taking your coat and welcome, and you feel like this is going to be a good time. It lends itself to family rooms for sure. So we're, uh, I don't, usually I write up things for introduction. I didn't write anything because I'm not real sure how to introduce this, other than to tell you all I'm sorry because we're back to where we were last week. I was going to be done, and truthfully, I blame, and I'm glad he's here to receive the blame, Danny Markley is entirely responsible for the fact that this message is left over from last week. We talked after, I don't know when it was, a day or two after church last week, and I was like, there was just some stuff that I didn't get out, and he's like, man, that's what makes it connectable. Like, don't be afraid of, and I'm like, okay, if you're willing to take the responsibility for going back to the golden calf, no problem. So we're going to, the title of this morning's message is called Just My Size, and I brought one of my son's little tractors. And I brought this so it reminded me while I'm preaching and reminds you when you trip over your kids' or grandkids' toys to think about this. This is just my size. So imagine, and Todd's not here, but uh, Todd Rivenaugh is a farmer. He farms uh, all over different little places. There's several farmers here, but I was thinking of Todd. And I thought if Todd were to ask me, hey, Isaac, my tractor's broke down. Could you come help? Yeah, I'll bring my tractor. And if I were to show up with this, I don't think it would be much help. Because he was maybe be talking about a real one. And when you compare this one to a real one, this is 164th the size of its, what it's a model of. And you all know this is, I mean, it's small enough that the tracks don't even turn that great on carpet. They kind of do. I mean, I know I've put a few miles on this tractor. But it's so tiny. It has, I mean, you could drive over this one with the real one. You wouldn't even know it. It's just my size. And this is just a microcosm of what we're going to be talking about. Like I said, the title of the teaching this morning is Just My Size. We're going to look at a few little bits and pieces how many of you remember last few weeks we've been talking about the Israelites coming up out of Egypt and ending up at Mount Sinai, and while Moses is on the mountain doing business with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Israelites decide to fashion for themselves their own God. 
And we've talked about this from the context of waiting. When we wait as humans, we tend to wander. And we, that's just a very clear example of it. We also looked at how we can see through the uh, deliverance the Lord provided for the Israelites that when the Lord delivers you from a thing, the thing is done. Israel, or Egypt was completely destroyed. You guys all follow, and we talked about this for a few weeks. This is the context leading up to this golden calf scandal. And I mentioned this last week or two weeks ago, that it is indeed a scandal. When we hear the word scandal today, we're like, somebody was doing something illegitimate with somebody they shouldn't have. It's scandalous. That's exactly what the Israelites were doing with the golden calf. Doing something with someone that they shouldn't have. It was scandalous. And, and interestingly enough, in this, in this passage, I'm going to get turned over to it here, but in this passage we see uh, it reveals a character quality of, of us as humans that isn't maybe our strongest suit. It reveals our desire to fashion God into something our size. Because how many of you know the golden calf, if it doesn't matter how much gold the Israelites had, one dude fashioned this calf. And he didn't have a bunch of big smelting pots, and it wasn't like a statue of a calf that was the size of this building. But even if it was, it would pale in comparison to real God, the only God. There's nothing they could fashion that would hold a candle to Jehovah, the God who brought them up out of Egypt. All those plagues, remember we talked about it last week, last few weeks? All those plagues, I mean, it was like, it did not appear that the Lord struggled to deliver them. It was one, two, three, four, all the way up to ten, which was the death of the firstborn of everything. That magnitude, that, uh, the, just the sheer size of that God, it's unfathomable, which is a difficult word sometimes even to produce, let alone to understand, unfathomable. It's like we can't even begin, you know, a fathom is a, is a, a nautical measurement word. And it's basically unmeasurable, but unfathomable sounds more Christian, so I chose to use that word. But it's, it's, we can't measure God at all. And the, the further that we look into the expanse of space, the smaller we realize that we are. We have no idea how big the universe is. If you start Googling stuff, you'll find people that are authorities on it. They know everything about it. And you'll find, you can find a lot of different numbers which mean very little to us because there's so many zeros, it's like, I don't know what that is. It's a lot of zeros. We don't, and to think that that was all created by a greater power, the magnitude of this God is something we can't wrap, I mean, even the tiniest bit of our brain around. But there's a desire in humanity to bring God down to shape him and to form him and to make him something manageable. This golden calf, obviously it's fairly manageable. They made him out of jewelry and trinkets, melted down and formed. It could have been as small as this. It might have been yay big. But the presence of the Lord was on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. And it's, the Bible says it engulfed the whole mountain. That was just like a tiny little, just a little bit. It's like, I'm sending part of me down to visit with Moses, and it's going to cover all the mountain. And then the children of Israel are like, we don't know what's going on up there. Let's make ourselves our own God. Now, there's a few theories on whether they're, because there's some, there's, you can read into it, and it's a little confusing. Were they making another God, or were they making an image to try to worship the, Jehovah, their God? At any rate, it was not the right thing to do. And regardless of whether they were trying to make a new God or make an image to honor Jehovah, it was not an honorable image. There was no, no honor given. It was, it was, in fact, to bring God down and make him small. We're going to read. We got a few minutes here, and so we're going to read. If you guys all are good. We're at, you came to church. You know that we do this. I'm not springing this on you. We're going to read most of Exodus chapter 32. If you can follow along, I think you'll, you can gain some context, and then we're going to talk about it. We're not going to go all over scripture after scripture after scripture. We're going to kind of read through this, and then we're going to go back and talk about it. 
So if you want to follow along, it should be up on the screen or you can follow in your Bibles. Verse 32, or chapter 32, verse 1, says, Now when the people, the Israelites, saw that Moses delayed coming down the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Verse 4. He received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation, said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Is everybody following along so far, the, kind of the storyline? We're going to keep going. Verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. Lo, the Lord and Moses are still up on Mount Sinai talking. For your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. We talked about that last week. It's interesting. At this point, the Lord's like, they ain't my people. These are your people. You go deal with them. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made themselves a molded calf and worshipped and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me be alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them. I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation." Verse 11, then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. And all this land I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he had said he would do to his people. Verse 15, and Moses turned, went, from the, went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other they were written. Verse 16, now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's noise, there's noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the noise or the shout of victory nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Confused, you see Joshua's not sure what's going on. Verse 19, so it was as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Verse 20, then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, and he scattered it in the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. I'm quite certain my dad might have taken a few parenting lessons from this. He's making a point. This is not a mistake he wants them to repeat. Verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought, them, brought so great a sin upon them? Verse 22, so Aaron said, do not let your anger, the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people and they're set on evil. Here we see another example of humanity passing the buck. It's, they're evil. I, I'm innocent. yes. I told them what to do, and I fashioned it, and then I made an altar, and I declared all the things, but it was the people. Moses, don't be upset with me. I'm just an innocent bystander. For they said to me, make us gods that should go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Verse 24, this is Aaron's excuse. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Now, we just read there was some engraving tools involved. There was some, a little bit of, you had, that's a lie, Aaron. Now then Moses saw the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. All the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. 
And he said unto them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. Let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves to the Lord today, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go back up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin. They have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Verse 33, the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. Verse 35, so the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. I thank you for this uh, scripture that you've given us, the word of God, uh, that we can see your character, that we can see your goodness in. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, that even reading stories like this, we will see glimpses of your goodness, glimpses of this covenant that we have today in this scripture. Father, I pray a blessing over the words that we speak today, over your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, just let it not be me or anything to do with me that's seen, but that it, let it be your word, and Jesus, let it be you that is seen today. pray a blessing over this time in Jesus' name, amen. This golden calf scandal, I just wanted to read the whole thing. I know it's a long chunk. It's a lot of reading. We don't always do a ton of reading, but I want, I, there's no way to tell that story clearer than what we just saw. There's some reiterations in it where you see it's like, okay, yeah, we know that because we read what the people said to Aaron and all that, but I just wanted to read it to really paint the picture, the whole thing that took place. You see, sometimes we got, it's so easy and so common today to go through Scripture, and we talk about this, we're going to keep talking about it, go through Scripture and snag a few verses here, snag a few verses there, make a few points with them, apply them to your life, everybody go, try really hard to be better with the verses that we took, but I don't think that's what we're called to do today. I think we're really called to spend a little bit of time and look at this scandal, this story, and draw some things out of it. In verses two through four, Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives. So all the people broke them off. We just read this. It was in there and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. This God that Aaron fashioned with his own hands was fashioned we're going to look at a few different points here, and Tammy, I may not get them numbered properly, so just follow along with a few random notes. She's always got notes with numbers by them and everything. But this God that Aaron fashioned with his own hands was fashioned from things the Israelites owned and could easily handle. This stuck out to me because the God that had busted them out of Egypt and destroyed and laid waste to Egypt was not made of things they could handle. In fact, Upon his word, all the things they could handle changed and were destroyed and all kinds. So they needed something that was more in their wheelhouse. We can take our earrings out, we can build a fire, we can melt them down, and we can fashion this new God. Made out of things that they could handle that they were used to handling. Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a largely intangible being. Beyond anything a human was able to comprehend, even more so, it's that way today, but even more so before the Holy Spirit came. You see, we were given the Holy Spirit to indwell us, which is the third person of the Godhead after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The Israelites didn't have that. And Jehovah, the God who had delivered them, was entirely intangible at that. They couldn't touch him. The word in the American Heritage Dictionary for tangible, I love these definitions because it helps us to see clearly discernible by the touch, possible to touch, palpable, possible to be treated as fact, real, or concrete, possible to understand or realize. How many of you know the children of Israel did not understand Jehovah at this point? We don't fully understand God. We, we have glimpses through the Holy Spirit. We understand with much greater 
uh, reality, but this is a big, like I said, we just talked about the magnitude of the universe, and he's greater than that. Like, think about that. He's greater than that. They couldn't, under, they couldn't fathom him. Possible to understand or realize, relating to or being property of a physical nature. Having a physical form. They needed God to be. They needed a God that was tangible, they thought. We need a God that's tangible. We want something we can see. We want something, I dare say, that's in our image. Now, it wasn't a person, but it was a calf. It was something that they had some familiarity with. There's, There's Egyptians would have had calves or cattle god type things that they had worshipped also, but it was something that was familiar. It's like, here's a thing, a definite place to go. We can do our stuff. We can offer sacrifices. We can worship this tangible thing, and we made it. The one true God who was up on the mountain was beyond anything they could fathom, but they desired to bring him down into something more understandable. If a calf is the relative size of God, he would be far more controllable, understandable, and manageable. It's just a calf. It's a small thing. We can pick him up and carry him around. And how many of you know if your God is made of gold that came out of your earrings, you're going to have to pick him up if you want him to move around. He ain't going to move anywhere. He's not going to do anything. It's just a thing. It's like this. It's just a thing. This isn't a God. This is just a piece of wood. It's a chunk of gold. It, but it had a physical image. It gave, get this, gave the Israelites the ability to relate. They had a desire to relate. As humans, our tendency, we tend to fear and avoid that which we do not understand or perceive to understand. Think about that. As humans, anything, you look at this in our, uh, the social spectrum of life. Why do you think, why is it that when a kid gets to a certain age, we send all of them that are that age to the same thing? All of them learn the same letters at the same time. We're teaching uniformity. Think about it within, like, as adults. We tend to, I grew up in a group of people that what you drove was a, like, it was, you know, your guys and you're in your teens. It's like what you drive is who you are. And it really should be red and probably should have been a Chevy. Now, that's not my opinion. That was the opinion of my group. I busted out of that mold early on. But there's this sameness, this need for, well, we don't understand anything that's different. So it's bad. It's different. It's bad. We don't understand things that are, we tend to, as humans, fear and avoid that which we do not understand. Groups of people. Why do people segregate so easily? We're going to all go with, let's go with the people that we have sameness with. Everybody who's the same. You think about haircuts, clothing styles, uh, vehicles, sports that you enjoy. All of these things. Uh, I, I tend to, I find it easy to interact with people who have similar work interests. We naturally segregate. It's like, well, we don't understand. I don't understand technology at all, nearly. And so I don't really have like a circle of people that are really super techie. I try to because I need help with it, but I don't understand it. Where tech people, they just gravitate together because it's like you can speak, finish each other's sentences. The calf, this calf, if, this, if we could make a God that was something that was tangible and that was something our size, now we're not so afraid of it. The God on the mountain, very fearful. We don't understand him at all. And so it's scary. Let's make one that's like us. Having the physical image to look at gave the Israelites the ability to relate. Now what I, what I want to kind of look at and see from this today is the mixing of the old and the new covenants has the exact same effect on the gospel as making a golden calf does on Jehovah. Now you're sitting there like, where are we going with this? You see, the new covenant that we've been bought and purchased and believe our way into it's not on us. You're not going to get yourself in there by performance. 
It's intangible. We don't understand it. How can somebody who is obviously a horrible person, horrible enough that society decided to crucify him, terrible, terrible criminal, with nothing other than believing who Jesus was, end up in paradise? How is that possible? And yet somebody else can believe that Jesus is the Son of God as a child and live a life trying to walk with him and they also go to paradise. This is intangible. We don't understand this. This is akin to God in the cloud on the mountain. We don't know what's going on. This gospel is so big. It's bigger than anything we can imagine. So what we as humans tend to do is let's bring that down a little bit. Let's bring some of the behavior stuff. Let's make it, what if we made the gospel us-shaped? We could make it out of things that we're used to, like behaviors. Let's make the gospel a behavior thing. We could, we'll just add some behaviors. We'll melt the behaviors down, and we'll form them into the gospel for us. It's, it's got to be more, like the gospel as Jesus revealed and delivered is beyond anything we can imagine. And so we tend, as humans, to fear it maybe a little and to shy away from it. I don't, you know, grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and I, I don't really understand grace. How is it unmerited? Because everything's got merit. Like, you can't be an idiot and be born again. That's too extreme. Let's, you know what, tell you what, why don't we shape it like this? Why don't we say, Jesus died, and that covers everything before the time that you realize that he died. Then after you believe that he died, then it's kind of on you, and we'll be the arbiters of it, your peers. We'll decide, ah, that was, you know what, that was just a bridge too far. We're, you were good to screw up up to a certain point, but that there, that's a bridge too far. Based on what exactly? Well, you know what it says in the Ten Commandments? We're back under the Ten Commandments? Well, just for this one thing that we're disqualifying you with, is everybody following me? I, I might be talking a little bit in circles here. We can shape this massive gospel, this intangible thing that, it, that God said, I'm going to deliver you. Because you can't deliver yourselves. If we could do it, Jesus didn't need to come. The law for 4,000 years proved you can't do it. 613 laws, and then Jesus comes along and he's like, you think that was bad? What I actually mean is the intention behind your action. You can, just, you can walk 613, but if your intentions were off, you're disqualified. You thought it in your heart, didn't you? You can't do it, and I can't do it, and it has to be Jesus. It's a concept it's more than a concept. It's a reality that we cannot wrap our brains around because there's nothing else in human existence that functions that way. Nothing. Everything else that we do has a level of merit to it. Everything. We don't understand it. And so the danger is for us to be just exactly like these children of Israel in the desert saying, Let's make this intangible. Let's get us something more our size. Let's make the gospel just my size. I need it to be something that I can wrangle. So if we make the gospel instead of just sharing the gospel, because Trey and I were discussing this morning, our resume has no bearing on the gospel. That offends a few people. Because, well, I've done pretty good, though. I got a good resume. Like, I went to church a lot. So that doesn't factor in it. Nope. But I, I did try. I tried really hard. And I achieved some stuff. It's not relevant to the gospel. Are you sure? It's so quiet in here. You guys are just, it's like the silence. We could just sort of feel it. I'm sure. Because if it's us, I'm here to tell you it's not good news. It's not good news if it's us. If it's got you in it, it ain't good news. You say, 
Oh yeah? I say, yeah, give, it, give yourself five minutes and you'll believe me. Because you'll screw up, we'll screw up, we'll make a mistake. And it's like, oh. But what we do is just like the Israelites with this calf, well, we could shape it around that. What if we made it a little different? You know, so, so that area where I make a mistake, we won't include, like, we're not going to put that rule in the gospel, just the rules that we see other people breaking. Do you see how this, it, it, it's a gospel of exclusion. It excludes people. It's like, well, if you don't look quite right, you know, we've got the gospel. We've got it shaped just right. So much, we built it ourselves. It looks just like us. There's some things, for instance, uh, Absolutely no drug addiction. You cannot be a drug addict and be a Christian. We know that. That's the rules, right? I'm being facetious. You're, you're looking at me scared, church. Just relax a little bit. Everybody laugh with me. Well, you can't, but how about an addiction to overeating? That we would be probably okay. Can we, is, are we okay with that? We're okay. It's like, well, that's kind of okay. It's like not as destructive. Yeah, tell that to the cardiologist. It's very destructive. It's just a different kind of destructive. We make these things. We craft this gospel. It's like there's certain things we're like not okay with. You can't be born again. You can't, you got to be delivered from that in a certain amount of time. How about that one? Anybody ever had a discussion with somebody where it's like, I believe so-and-so is born again if they start looking different. And you say, well, how long they've been born again? Well, they've been, they say they've been born again for 10 years, but they don't look different Oh, because you received deliverance in three years. But what if somebody looked at you and they're like, I don't think you're born again at year two. We put these timelines, we draw these things, and they always wind up looking like us. We get done with our gospel and it's like, there. We trimmed out all the areas where we're failing and we're like, that's not a requirement, obviously, because I'm failing in that area. But all the areas that we're winning in, you have to be winning in those areas. And now we have this golden calf-shaped gospel that excludes everyone that's not like us, and it dumbs the gospel down. It brings the gospel out of being this intangible, massive, universe-creating size thing. And we make it this three-foot-by-four-foot statue of stuff that we had, stuff that we were good at. I was pretty good at that. I, you know, I, I was pretty good at not swearing for a while, and so we we're going to put that one in there. So I hit my thumb again, and I was like, I don't think he meant that. I don't think that was one that he, we'll just, we'll cut that little corner off. Most iterations of Christianity stem from taking the cross too lightly or weighing our actions and ourselves too heavily. That's how we end up with all these different versions of Christianity. We add things. They did this in the, in the first century, and we're doing it today. We're adding things that we're comfortable with. The book of Galatians, Paul writes a pretty strong corrective letter to the church at Galatia. Verses, verse one of chapter three, we see, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Among whom, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as sacrificed, as the sacrifice, as everything for your righteousness. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, verse 3, having begun in the spirit that you're now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. 
verse 8, the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You see, it was a thing they did then. We got the gospel. And as we know, the word gospel means nearly too good to be true news. You could almost even say the word gospel is it's just too good to be true. But we know it is true, so we add nearly in there. It's too good to be true. There's nothing this good. But I'm telling you, if it's not the gospel, it's nothing. There's not shades of the gospel. So, well, we'll do the gospel, but then some of us. Now, you may be sitting here today and thinking, so is he saying like there is nothing, like you can't screw up, you can't, no, you can screw up, you can make mistakes. I'm not endorsing stupid behavior. Stupid behavior will get us stupid results every time. Every time, it's a math equation. If you do stupid, you get stupid. I'm not endorsing stupid, but if we have the ability to play a role in the gospel besides believing, the gospel's too small. We've made it too small. We've brought it down and we've shaped it, carefully crafted it out of things that we are used to handling, our behaviors, maybe our thoughts, maybe our schedules, maybe our finances. We've shaped it. We've added these aspects, characteristics to it, and we've defined it. We've made it look like something that looks oftentimes a lot like us. The true nature of the grace, which is unmerited and unearned favor of God, the true nature of this is more than any human can actually comprehend. In our natural minds, you can't do it. It just, it's impossible. There's just no way. God can't be that good. He can't have done it. How did someone physically dying 2,000 years ago cover what my grandkids will screw up? Physically, my brain is blown. There's no, I can't understand it. The magnitude of God is also far beyond anything we could ever imagine. I hope, I hope no one has heard this morning, well, anything goes. That's not the point. I hope no one has been just confused, like, where are we, how do we get from the golden calf to the gospel? I hope I've tried to, I've tried to make that clear. Most, I shared this point, this point, how most iterations, most versions of Christianity stem from taking the cross too lightly or weighing our actions too heavily. So most iterations of God, most idols that have been made across all of human history they all have some characteristics that it's very easy to see that man made them. Like, there's not a lot of idols that it's like, that's supernatural. It's like, no, that one's made out of stone. There was a chisel involved and a hammer and a lot of time, probably a bunch of dead slaves. Or that's made out of gold. Somebody melted it down and they made a mold and, they, and it looks actually just like some other thing or some combination of other thing. They're very natural looking. Do you see, does this connection, does everybody make this connection, or a few of you at least make this connection? There's, there's a lot in this. The gospel, there's, there's things for us as the church to see in this story for us today that are beyond, well, we shouldn't have golden calves. And we shouldn't shape things that are beyond the scope of our understanding. We shouldn't try to shape them into things we understand we started out talking about this. We're going to come back around to it. I think about the magnitude of space. And I'm not a space engineer by any stretch of the imagination. But I think about, you know, I've flown in like uh, commercial planes and a couple of private planes. Like by private planes, I don't mean like uh, Lear jets. I mean like the ones with the spinning things. And it's pretty amazing to be up high. But I watched a thing a while ago on, I like, I like aircraft. I watched a thing, this has been quite a while ago, it was on Discovery Channel about how during the Cold War at some point in time, the United States military flew an F-15, which is a fighter jet, and they shot down 
part of a space thing with it, a satellite deal. And you're like, no, that's what I thought. I'm like, this is impossible. How can you shoot a space thing down with an airplane? Well, they took that thing and they were going super fast and super high. And I thought about that and they showed uh, clips of this thing taken off and they had like hopped it up a little bit with a few things. And basically they were trying to prove, the United States military was trying to prove to the Russians that we could shoot uh, space stuff down. That seemed like a good plan. Why don't we take an airplane and fly it super high, hope it all works out. Oh, you want to be that pilot? What's your end game? Like in a small plane, if you have problems, maybe you can land it. You know, maybe you'll, you'll engine, maybe you can land. From all the way up there, then I got thinking about these crazy people who decided to get in space shuttles and go, I mean, what is the contingency plans up there? You're not parachuting down from the moon. You're done. You get up there, you're done. And that is, when you look at, we think it's, you know, the, what was this, what's the saying, the one small step for, somebody finish us off here. I can't hear you. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We were on the moon. Oh my goodness. That's amazing, right? Is anybody else amazed? Remember in Dumb and Dumber, we landed on the moon. A few of you got that. So we landed on the moon, which is amazing. I can't imagine being on the moon. But anybody ever do the seventh grade science project where you put all the uh, planets together, a little thing where you say, it's like, how close is the moon to us? In the scope of the rest of the planets, it's like right over there. We're amazed. We made it all the way over there. Yeah, but what about all the other planets? Just the ones that make it in the seventh grade science project. Let alone the universe. We're all that. We went to the next thing over to the moon. And we're all that. That's a big deal. And I'm not discrediting it because there's zero chance I would go to the moon under any circumstances unless we stop there on the way to heaven. Otherwise, I ain't going. The magnitude of our creator. The creator is greater than the creation. And the creation is limitless. We have no concept of how big creation is. Do you understand this, church? That's the God who, and the gospel is greater than than the universe. It's more amazing. It's more magnificent. It took more than the universe took to create and make possible. Think about this. This is what we are commissioned to represent to our world. Now, in that scale, in that scope, how much do you think we bring to the table? I didn't swear for seven days. Compared, I'm sorry, compared to the universe, the creator of the universe, and the magnitude of that gospel that Jesus did, we're entering us? We're adding us in? We're saying, we'll be part of it? It's this, we're doing the gospel a disservice, and I'm not pointing fingers at any of you at all. I'm, I want to encourage us to share and to root ourselves and ground ourselves just like Paul encouraged the church the early church as you so began as you began in Christ so walk ye in him we began believing because that's all we had just believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are saved stay there I'm not talking about not growing or anything like that. I'm saying in your understanding, in the way that you relate to God, it's believe and receive believe. It's not believe and receive and then you know what? I'm doing part of this too. Why don't I step out and I'll take care of some of it? No, it's Jesus. It's all him. It's all the, that magnificent, limitless gospel. That's how big it is. Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, chapter three, in verse eight, Paul's talking about this gospel. He says, to me, Paul, 
when less than the least of all the saints this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. See, Paul was commissioned to carry this unsearchable, magnificent gospel to us. Now it's our job to carry this gospel to the world. It's my concern. It's my concern that in Christianity today, this golden calf concept, this just my size deal of the gospel. It's limiting us. It's limiting us in the way that we share the gospel. It's limiting us in how we walk with Jesus. We've made it this tiny little, not all of us, and I'm not saying anybody specifically in this room, but it's my concern that we've lost the edge of the magnificence of this great plan of salvation. This is no small thing. For us to be able to believe in Jesus and be made right with God. There's nothing that compares to that. Nothing. You say, but you don't understand. Anybody ever heard somebody when you're talking about the gospel, but you don't understand. You don't know how bad I've been. Well, you don't understand how good Jesus was. Jesus was perfect in this life, and he still is. You don't understand. For me to tell someone, wow, you don't understand how much I've screwed up. You don't understand what Jesus did on the cross. That's greater. The cross worked, and it is greater than anything that we have done or can do. Save not believing in Jesus. Now, Please, no one hear this as instruction to go do dumb things. But as you carry the gospel, use this to not disqualify people. Ah, that boy, I don't know about that guy. Yeah, what about the criminal on the cross? How many of us would, would have passed him on the street and said, yeah, no chance there. I just, probably just keep going. I'm not going to waste my time there. I'm not going to sow my seeds there. I don't think that guy's got a chance He's on his way to be crucified. That's how bad he was. He don't have a resume. You know, the criminal on the cross, when, he is, when we see him, when we meet him in heaven, and I believe with everything inside of me that we will interact with the people that we see in Scripture in person somehow. And I don't know how, but we, I believe we will. He is not going to have anything to say about himself. He's not going to say, there was this one time I was believing the Lord for this, and I saw this, I had this opportunity, and I did. It's, it's like, you did what now? Well, on the cross, right before I died, I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. That's his only resume. And how many of you know, that's our only resume also. That's all we have. Before I died, I believed in Jesus, and he did everything. I hope this has lent some clarity. Again, this is another glimpse of another facet of things from this golden calf scandal story. So when you trip over toys, when you're walking through the store and you see the 164th scale farm toys, I want you to think about how big is your gospel? How big is the gospel that you believed in? Did you trim it down? Did you shape it down to your size? Do we, you do it, we do it subconsciously. I want to explain that. We don't do it. It's not like you've sat down with a piece of paper and a pencil and been like, okay, these are the areas that I keep screwing up, so we're going to say those are okay. It's all subconscious. It's slow. It's little by little, bit by bit. We kind of like, uh, and we do it just gradually. 
We kind of like, well, you know, that, well, you know. It's a gradual thing. And this for me, this just my size, seeing that golden calf as something, it's like we can't understand the magnificence of God. So let's just make one our size. You can't understand the magnificence of the gospel all the time. We just make one our size, make one our shape. The gospel is not shaped after us. It's the shape of Jesus. If you would stand with me this morning, I'd like to dismiss us all with a declaration. This morning, we declare with thanksgiving that we are partakers in a covenant that is beyond our understanding in scope and in scale. A covenant established by our limitless and eternal God by whose very words all that exists was created and consists today. This covenant cut between Almighty God and himself lists those who believe as the eternal beneficiaries and we stand today as believing believers bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and filled with his spirit. We declare boldness this morning to carry this news to our generation that lives may be changed as people meet Jesus. We know that this world is not fixed and is not friendly to this marvelous gospel, but greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. It's with these things on our hearts and our minds that we step into this week with the very boldness of a lion. Bow with me if you would. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for being here with us today in our midst and within us. Lord, I thank you that the greater pressure on the inside of us It's always going to win. It's greater than all the pressure in the world. Father, I just pray a blessing over this body. Each person as we go from this place that we can carry this gospel in its full magnificent glory to all the people around us. That we resist the temptation to shape it a little bit more like us. Father, that we just carry it in its unadulterated, untrimmed down form the pure and spotless blood of Jesus, the complete and total gospel. Thank you for this good news that we can believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Pray a blessing over this body and each person as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful week.